We're seeking to bring Jesus and faith in Him into every aspect of our lives as we look at the book of Colossians in these weeks. And we've been looking at a place for faith in all these different places. We still have politics to go next week. Politics, a place for faith. We're going to talk about family, a place for faith, as well as the world mission, a place for faith. And we're talking a little bit about that today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open up to the book of Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to talk about culture, a place for faith today. And I'm talking about you interacting with the people that you know in the places where you go every day and there being a Christian and seeing what goes on there through eyes of faith so that we are not afraid or anxious about our culture and the world, but instead we are walking in faith every day as we look at what's going on in the world. And a part of this is a response to the idea of culture wars, which indeed we have as believers, and sometimes we've got to put on the full armor of God, and that metaphor is used to describe how we are in the world, that we are in a battle, and that's for sure. But there are other ways of looking at it too. As Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And that's the most common way that the Scripture talks about you being in the world. You're the light of the world. And you're to be setting that light on a hill so that everybody can see it. And you are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. And so those are other ways of looking at how we relate to culture. It is complex. It is difficult. But I went through the whole book of Colossians looking for hints to this truth that we can relate to culture in faith. And I want to read a little bit for you this morning. First, chapter 3, verse 11 of the little letter to Colossae. Verse 11 says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I wish I had more time to talk about verse 11. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it describes what we seek to do in our compassion ministries as we put on love, clothe ourselves with love, seek to exemplify love in all our words and all our deeds as a body of believers. Now I want to read a little bit of chapter 4, so skip down to chapter 4, verse 2, where the apostle says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We are in one of the great cultural centers of the world, the most interesting city in America. Ten million people a year come to New Orleans to experience our culture. 
They do so through the cuisine, through the museums, through the indigenous music, through the sights and sounds of this city that my nephew said is the only city in America that has a soundtrack. And we were down in the French Quarter when he said that, and there was a bugler playing a song floating out over the Mississippi River. Well, we are in a great cultural center. Sometimes people come here and they react very strongly against the culture of this city, as you and I know. And we're aware. Some people come and they just can't seem to stay. On the other hand, there are many people who are born and reared here who, when they go, can't stay away. And so we have the statement, if you marry a girl from New Orleans, where are you going to live? You're going to live in New Orleans. That's, that's where you're going to live. Because every other place seems strange out there. This is a very unique, we have our own dialect here, our way of talking and referring to strangers, you know, as baby and honey and sweetheart when we go get coffee and all that. And so we like the conversational aspect of our city. And the truth is this city is uh, rich in its history. I've lived in the cities of glass and concrete and steel, and I like this city in the swamp. I think it, it is rich in so many ways in how we express ourselves, relate to one another. So many things boil up in a swamp. A swamp is a place with a lot of life in it, and that's really what New Orleans is. It's a place with great variety, and lots of things happen here. So we've got a culture, and people know it, and they look to us in regard to our culture. Now, we know also that our culture has difficulties and problems here in New Orleans, and the world is well aware of that as well. The Apostle Paul carried the gospel outside of his culture. He went across his culture. He left the Jewish enclave of Jerusalem and Israel, and he went into the Greek world and the Roman world and cities like Colossae, to which he sent this letter, and other cities like Philippi and Corinth, and eventually to Rome, declaring the gospel in these cultures that are so unlike Jerusalem and so unlike Israel. He learned about culture firsthand. He spent time in their cities and time in their prisons as well, experienced these places that were distant from his own. And when he wrote to Colossae and to the church there, he had a word for them. And the first word I want to point to you is a word that receives the world as a gift from God. It's a faith word. Here, here it is. Receive culture as a gift from God. In faith, receive culture as a gift from God. We know that the natural world is a gift from God, right? We know that God created everything there is. We have a pretty easy time receiving the natural world as a gift when we get up and it's 53.1 degrees and we can, write, uh, we can light our first uh, fire in the fireplace. Hey, this is wonderful. We like this a lot. And we give praise for that and we thank God for beautiful birds and flowers and all that. You know that I love the natural world, and I give praise to God for it, and I believe it is a gift from Him. Everything that nourishes me, that I have to have, He gives me, and I give thanks for that. We also believe that humans are a creation of God, 
and they are made especially in his image and in his likeness. So humans are created by God, and they are different than all the other created creatures in the world. They are made in his image. So all over the world, there are people who are different from us. They look different. They sound different. They're in different cultures. They speak different languages, but we know that they are made in the image of God, and therefore, wherever we find human life, we believe in the sanctity of life, the sanctity of human life, that it is holy and sacred because humans are made in the image of God. And whoever that person might be, they are God's image bearer. Whatever they like, look like, however they sound, they are God's image bearer. And so we receive that truth. We believe that truth in faith. We believe that marriage is a gift of God. We believe that because God created them, male and female. He, he brought Eve unto Adam and said, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. God basically performed the first marriage in the Garden of Eden. We believe that marriage is a gift from God. And marriage is the most fundamental unit of human culture. Everything else is built upon it. A man and a woman get together and have children that is part of the purpose of marriage, the propagation of the race. And because they are in a covenant relationship of love that lasts for a lifetime, they nurture their children all the way until those children are independent and go on their own. And this building block of society is not just here in the United States or just in Christian cultures, but in cultures all over the world and throughout the generations. People have respected this necessary block to building human community and rearing children, and caring for one another, the institution, if you will, of marriage. And because marriage we believe to be a gift from God, then we can see where culture is also a gift from God. Community and tribes and clans, they gather together to maximize their gifts and abilities in the togetherness. And the Scripture says that through Christ all things were created. This is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, that He made everything, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, that He made all these. And that would include all the structures of human existence and community and relationships. God is responsible for them. In fact, the Bible says that God created government, that it too is a gift from Him. And that person who carries the, the sword. He is designated as a messenger of God on our behalf to prevent lawlessness from taking over in a community or a culture and preventing the innocent from being hurt by the wicked and the lawless. And so we have the gift of government and marriage, and in that is the gift of human culture. Just like personality is a gift from God, the individual personality, we're all different. So human culture is a gift from God. And we receive it as a gift from Him. And it is marvelous. It's a marvelous thing. And we, we can give thanks for it. We give thanks for our museums and our hospitals and the transportation system that we enjoy and all that is part of our culture, the education that is ours, it is good to give thanks for these things. And every culture has them. And these aspects that are good are in every culture. So wherever you go in the world, you can at least say, thank you, God, for the gift of human culture. 
So in faith we receive it and we do so with gratitude. We can expand our gratitude a little bit, okay? We're grateful for our parents, we're grateful for our family, we're grateful for the natural world and for what God provides for us in sustaining our bodies. We can also be grateful for human culture. It is better than chaos. It is better than anarchy. It is good to have a culture that helps us organize our life together. Another confession that we must make, okay? We make in faith a confession that culture is a gift from God, and we receive it as such. The second confession we make is that all cultures are broken by sin. Now, that's a faith confession. Our faith teaches us that sin is rampant and that it happens in every human heart. So wherever you go in the world, people understand when you talk about sin and guilt. They know about that because they themselves are sinners. And so we confess that not only are human beings universally sinful, but all human culture is also broken and perverted by sin. That doesn't mean that we reject it all any more than we reject the whole personality of the person next to us or our neighbor or friend. It's that we understand that people are broken and we also understand that cultures are broken, that they are sinful. We make that statement realizing that God speaks His grace as well as His truth to these cultures. And that Jesus came into a culture that was broken and he exemplified grace and truth for that culture. And the scripture says that we are to have our conversation salted with grace and truth in our culture toward those outsiders that we take every opportunity and speak in grace and truth unto them. That should characterize us at work, in the family, in our classrooms, that we are speaking both with grace, grace and truth. Now, brothers and sisters, sometimes we have a hard time speaking both grace and truth. Sometimes we want to hammer with truth, and we want to lay it down in judgment and condemnation. And the Scripture says that Jesus exemplified grace and truth, that He was full of grace and truth. And so in the culture, as people of faith, confessing that culture is a gift from God, but also that it is broken. We speak legitimately with both grace and truth in the boardroom, in the community gathering, in our neighborhood, understanding that culture is broken. Now, I want to remind you again of this verse I read, which says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is a momentous verse. It is a powerful verse. It is a verse that Paul writes with great passion, and he is very careful about the words that he chooses. I want you to pause for a moment and think about your own culture. I know you receive it as a gift. You are grateful for your parents, your grandparents, and the community in which you were reared and raised. 
I want you to think about that culture and particularly the culture of your family. Can you identify the ways in which your family culture is broken by sin? Can you think through how your parents related to one another, how they related to you as a sibling, as a child, how they related to the world around you? Can you see where your culture is broken by sin, your specific culture? It's so easy to confess the sins of other cultures. It's easy to do. In fact, Jesus said, you know, we're so prone to see the speck in our neighbor's eye when we don't even notice we got a log in our own eye. You remember that? The speck in the log parable? Well, that happens in culture, too. It's so easy to see the speck in a culture outside of you when you cannot really see the log in your own culture. So you're looking for the log in, the, in your own culture, in the culture you were reared in. Was it typified by greed or arrogance or injustice? Were you reared in a culture of racism? Can you identify your own culture and the sin that was present in it and maybe still? There are times when you have to confess not just your own personal sin, but the sin of your family. We see that in the Bible. We see the prophets confessing the sins of the people. Sometimes you have to confess the sin of your family. I remember when I was so startled by my brother saying to me, you know, our father was racist. I'd never thought about it before. I stepped back from his word, said, what? And after a little bit, I realized I'd never thought about it, but my brother was right. My brother was right. There was a racist strain in him. What about you? Can you honestly acknowledge the sins of the culture in which you were reared, the family of which you are a part? Do you ever confess those sins to God and say, Lord, forgive us? for being so combative, for being so focused on things instead of on people, for being so distracted by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that we never really have pursued your kingdom in my own culture, in my own family. You are creating a culture, mom and dad, in your family. And sometimes we need to step back and take a look at that culture and say, is God receiving glory around this table? In this living room? Do the praises of God live here? Am I faithful to God in my own culture that I have created? The Apostle Paul gives us this list. And he says, you know, the world is a great big place. With lots of different people in it. And the gospel reaches out to all of them. And Jesus brings down the barriers between people. And he says in this scripture, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Well, the whole world is divided into Jew and Gentile. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And it's an ethnic barrier. 
and it's existed for centuries, and it's, it's been there in the families, and everybody's acknowledged it. And now, in the church of Jesus Christ, that barrier comes down. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. That ethnic barrier was a part of the sinful, fallen nature of man. Amen. It didn't belong in heaven. It's not going to be there. Heaven's not going to be divided into red and yellow, black and white. No. Those barriers are gone in heaven. We all know that. And they're supposed to be gone in the church of Jesus Christ because the gospel sets us free from that prejudice and bias. It's gone in the church of Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile. Put that scripture up again. He mentions next, next circumcision or uncircumcised. That's a religious barrier. If you had the sign of the covenant as a male in Israel, you were circumcised. And so the world was divided up into people who had the sign of the covenant and those that didn't. And the apostle Paul, who was circumcised as a child and had that sign of the covenant and grew up in that law given by Moses, says in the church of Jesus Christ, that doesn't matter anymore. These religious traditions and ceremonies that used to be so important to us no longer divide us. And for the folks at Colossae, this is enormous. This is colossal. Somebody look up on your internet and see if Colossae and Colossal are related, okay? Colossians and Colossal. This is colossal because there are all kinds of religions, strange and weird religions, in the Greco-Roman world where Paul took the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these people were saved out of that. People came into the church. They'd been eating meat, sacrificed to idols. They'd been bowing down in front of wood and stone images. They'd been worshiping at temples where there were temple prostitutes. That's the kind of culture they lived in. And the apostles said they get saved. They respond to the gospel and they come into the church of Jesus Christ and their barriers that used to divide us are there no more. The ground is level at the cross of Christ. There is no barbarian. Now you think immediately crude and rude when you hear the word barbarian. But initially the word just meant somebody who couldn't speak Greek. That's all. If you couldn't speak Greek, you're a barbarian. The whole world is full of people who know Greek they would say the language of the gods. And people who didn't know Greek, and they are barbarian, they are ignorant. And sometimes we think, you know, if people don't know English, they're just ignorant. They need to learn English because that language they speak sounds weird. All right? And so God takes away the prejudice of language. That barrier comes down. There is no barbarian in the church of Jesus Christ anymore. We don't look down on the person who has a different language from us. And then it has the word Scythian. Who in the world is a Scythian? Well, a Scythian is a barbarian. He can't speak Greek. But he comes from a particular part of the world that is especially despised. Russia. A Scythian came from what, used to, what is now Russia. He's a Russian. There are Russians in the Church of Jesus Christ in the Greco-Roman world. But if you come from Russia and you cross those boundaries to get to the church in Colossae, that's okay because there are no geographical boundaries in the Church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. We are all one in Christ. What I'm telling you is vitally important to the gospel. 
Because all over the gospel, congregations like us compromise their witness in their community and in the world by putting up artificial barriers in their churches that should not exist according to the gospel and according to Colossians and according to the word of Jesus. They shouldn't be there. And because they're there, we cannot speak to the divisions that we, that we have all over the world in communities and cultures. We cannot speak to them because we have endorsed them and we're part of them. And we must not. The gospel is bigger than any nationality, language, tribe, or tongue. And that's what the scripture is saying. So we've got to root out all that prejudice against somebody from somewhere else, somebody who speaks a different language, who has a different culture or a different skin color. It's all got to go. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, he has brought it down. He himself is our peace, our harmony with one another. He has brought down the dividing wall. How? In his death upon the cross and made us all one in the body of believers. So now we understand. That the economic barrier between slave and free is gone. That these layers and patchwork in human society are attacked and eliminated in the church of Jesus Christ where we are all one in him. It seems impossible. Even as I say it, I wonder if it can be. The church has been caught up in the ethnic strife and, and the economic layering for so long. And you wonder, is it possible even for us to be free? Can humans actually experience what is in this verse, in, that Christ is all and in us all? And the answer is yes. For I believe at Colossae, you had the Jew, you had the Gentile. You had the barbarian, you had the Scythian. He had the circumcised and uncircumcised. He had the slave and the free man sitting together in the same spot. That was the church, the marvel of the church, the wonder of the church. And a church that lives this and works at this. And it takes work. It takes attention. And experiences this in its family of faith. Is able to go to its community and speak to the racial injustice and the economic injustice and the barriers and boundaries that we put around people right, right here in our own city. We have a great city, okay? But a lot of the conflict and difficulty in our city has to do with territorial boundaries in neighborhoods where gangs spring up and they are loyal to their neighborhood. I never lived in any place where the median in a boulevard was called the neutral ground. Just think about that term for a minute. The neutral ground. It's sort of like the demilitarized zone. And much of the murder in this city is about territorial conflict between gangs over drugs and guns, and things like that, and we know this. The Church of Jesus Christ has a word to speak, and not only a word to speak, but a love to share and model in a community. I want you to see the world not as bristling with weapons, full of weapons of mass destruction, conflict, dust and smoke and fire billowing in all parts of the world. I want you to see the world as Jesus saw the world, and Paul saw the world, and and this is how they saw it. 
All over the world, the apostle said, the gospel is growing and bearing fruit. All over the world, he said, the gospel is growing and bearing fruit. He's been going all over his world. He's been planting the gospel everywhere he goes. And the marvel of it is that everywhere he plants it, people hear and they understand. Yes, there's something about the goodness and love of God that resonates in their heart because they are made in his image and they understand that. And there's something about sin and the brokenness of sin that resonates inside of them because they deal with it every day and they hear the good news of the gospel that God loves them and he provides for their salvation and forgiveness through Christ and they respond to the gospel and the church of Jesus Christ takes root in every kind of culture and language and place for this very reason. It is a marvel in fact what God is doing. So now I want you to see in faith the whole world as a harvest field. And hear Jesus say again, lift up your eyes. Look in the fields. They're white unto harvest. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, we confess our limitation of understanding. We confess that we are so often surrounded by Arrogance and pride and greed, and these are in our heart and in our families. We confess that we are divided, and Lord, that those divisions sometimes get into the church economic and language and cultural barriers. And God, we pray you'll forgive us. Lord, we want to represent you well. Holy Spirit, we want you to do your work in us so that we live out this oneness in Christ that is written about here in our text. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.